One of my favorite Sundays of the year, uh, being able to be surrounded I've, uh, by these shoeboxes. I've uh, had the privilege of being uh, on a couple, uh, two or three distributions, and there's nothing like it uh, to watch the joy that those children have. But I want you to know that, that these boxes are, 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 are also a tool that, that opens a, 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 a way for us, uh, for the Operation Christmas Child staff to be able to share the gospel in very clear and compelling ways. And uh, so thank you for being a part of this. This is a great thing that we get to do. In the 1989 movie, um, Field of Dreams, the main character, a farmer, played by a young Kevin Costner, was plagued by the lack of relationship that he had had with his now deceased um, father. In the midst of that turmoil, he began hearing a voice which said, if you build it, he will come. The it was a baseball field in the middle of a cornfield, that what became the field of dreams. He who was to come was the main character's father, <laughs> with whom Costner was then able to play catch in a stirring conclusion to the movie. That utterly ridiculous plot made famous the line, if you build it, he will come. But as silly as all that sounds, the idea is actually not without some biblical warrant. What do I mean? Follow. Last week, uh, we looked at Enoch, whose eternal epitaph read, uh, Enoch walked with God. You, you remember his very brief story appeared in Genesis chapter 5. There we read that Enoch, um, uh, when Enoch was 65, he had a son whom he named Methuselah. After the birth of his son, he walked with God for 300 years, and, and then he was no more. God took him away. Hebrews 11 tells us um, that he never saw or experienced death. He walked right out of this world into the very presence of God. What is interesting to note is the implication that Enoch walked with God after Methuselah was born. And what is really interesting is what the name Methuselah means. You, you see, back then, names meant something. For example, Adam uh, meant man for obvious reasons. Eve, whose name means living, was named by Adam because she was the mother of all living. And Joseph and Mary were told by the angel to name their son Jesus, uh, which means the Lord saves, for he would save his people from their sins. Well, back to Methuselah. W what does it mean? Well, roughly translated, the name means, get this, when he is dead, it will be sent. Sound familiar? <laughs> what is it? Well, doing the math, you find that Methuselah, who lived, by the way, 969 years, died the very year the flood began. In other words, many feel that God revealed to Enoch, who is the one who named his son Methuselah, that when your son Methuselah dies, it will be sent. God would destroy the earth with a flood. If this is true, and I and many others think that it is, there are a couple of things that we learn from this. First, it reveals God's very rich and very patient mercy. How so? God said he would destroy uh, the earth when Methuselah died. Who is the oldest man to ever live? <laughs> Methuselah. God was patient, waiting until the last possible moment to execute his judgment. He was actually waiting for Enoch's great-grandson to be born. Second, if this is accurate, again, I think it is, we see, get this, Enoch's knowledge of impending judgment perhaps caused him to walk with God. 
<laughs> I mean, if you knew that God was, was going to return one day in judgment and say, I don't know, destroy the earth with consuming fire, would it affect the way you lived? Or would you be distracted? And consider 2 Peter chapter 3. Know this, first of all, that in the last days uh, in which we are living, mockers will come with their mocking, uh, following their own lust. You see, they must mock if they want to continue in their sin. And saying, where is the promise of his coming, Christian? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. You say, Jesus, is come. where is he? It's been a couple thousand years. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. Notice that phrase. That by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and by water. We saw that in Hebrews 11.3. That we believe that God made everything that there is out of nothing. Here he tells us by water, out of water. Through which that world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. The flood. But, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. In other words, time is not relevant to God. I mean, he's eternal. What's a thousand years? Nothing. Where is this? Pro it's been 2,000 years, a couple of days. The Lord is not slow, don't miss this verse, about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient. That's right, he's not come back because he's patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. In other words, like the flood, he is holding off deserved judgment till the very last possible moment because he's patient. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away. With the roar, the elements will be destroyed, tense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, listen, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? If you know this, it ought to affect the way that we live, shouldn't it? Looking for, hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning elements with intense heat. This sure promise of God's future return, judgment, certain judgment, yeah, it brings joyful expectation, but it should bring joyful, I mean, holy living. Enoch lived that way. We saw last week he had a consistent walk, a faithful walk. He had a Get a talking walk such that it could be said of him, he walked with God. He was pleasing to God because without faith, it's an impossible to please God. And this morning, we find there's another man of whom it is said that he walked with God. Right out of Genesis 6, 9. His name was Noah. And to this Noah, God said, when you build it, <laughs> it will come. No, really, that's what he said. It's right out of Genesis chapter 6. Look at it with me. Now, now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all, the, uh, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, that's it. 
The the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, because of people. Behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. And then God gives Noah all the instructions for building the ark. But here's what I want you to see. God said to Noah, I want you to build something. And when you build it, it's going to come. What what is it? Verse 17. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth. That which people conveniently forget about. To destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall enter the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind of the ark to keep them alive. To be male and female. And then he goes on to give some further instructions ending with verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did, as ridiculous as those commands were. Almost like building a field in the middle of a cornfield. You see, with all that by way of introduction, I am suggesting that both Enoch and Noah were aware of God's coming judgment. As are we. Oh, we haven't seen it yet. (laughs) and people are mocking, and we are perhaps distracted, but it's coming. And as a result, by faith, Enoch and Noah walked with God, and so should we. And by God's grace, through faith, they were spared, and so will we be. With Enoch, God took him out of this evil world, left everyone else here. With Enoch's great-grandson, Noah, God took everyone else out and preserved Noah through the flood. And so both of them, because of their walks by faith, made it into the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Let's read our text today. One verse as we blaze our way through Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 verse 7 says this. Calm down. By faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Having defined faith in in verse one, the author goes on to give us an entire chapter filled with examples of those who had an enduring faith and I might add in in the midst of opposition. He defined faith that is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. When warned about things not seen, Noah built a boat. This conviction is absolute trust, faith in God that produces works. Noah built a boat, okay. Obedience to God's command. Thus, uh, he lived as a person of faith. Here's the point I want you to get. Faith changes us. Faith is supposed to make us different people. As I pointed out, whether intentional or not, the author gives his first three examples. We see Abel, who demonstrated a worship of faith. Uh, uh, Enoch, who demonstrated a walk of faith. And then Noah, who demonstrates this work of faith. And, And I want to suggest to you this morning that those three go inseparably, listen to me, inseparably together. Which causes me great concern for the church of Jesus Christ today. Because of salvation by grace through faith, which is true, absolutely. Many think they can believe 
and then live however they want, which is not true. Faith changes us. John Piper, in commenting on this particular verse, says, make sure that you do not slip into this mentality common among modern Christians, namely that the faith spoken of in chapter 11 has nothing to do with salvation, that it's kind of an add-on to to, to basic Christianity. We're saved by an act of, of faith that is somehow different from what's being talked about here. In other words, many Christians think that saving faith is only a single act, asking Jesus into your heart, that's true, and everything else that happens is just kind of great kind of bonus. Christian life uh, is added for our benefit, for our maturity, and has nothing to do with our eternal salvation. Don't fall into that mentality, he suggests. Saving faith is not a mere single act of receiving Jesus. Yes, it is that. But saving faith receives Jesus in order to, get this, keep trusting in Jesus. Saving faith changes us. And we live a life of faith. If saving faith was just asking Jesus into your heart, a single act of faith in the past, would you spend over a hundred years building a boat in the middle of nowhere? See, I've never done anything that ridiculous. Saving faith produces enduring, obedient faith, no matter how ridiculous. Faith is what this chapter is trying to teach us about. We see this most clearly if we look at the last verse of chapter 10 that launched us into chapter uh, 11. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but we are those who have faith to the preserving of the soul, persevering faith. Now, I want you to see what is at stake here, shrinking back, being distracted to destruction, or pressing on in faith, preserving the soul. In other words, the evidence, get this, the evidence of authentic faith is pressing on. Faith that saves from destruction is a faith that lives day by day. Do you know that the Bible never, listen to me, the the Bible never points back to a, a, a spiritual birthday for you to say, see, I've got my spiritual birth certificate, I was saved on such and such a day and therefore I'm in like Flint. No, Current assurance is found in living faithfully today. To be clear, living faithfully today does not save us. It was that spiritual birthday when you were saved, when you were born again, when you asked Jesus into your heart, but then it should change your life. And so faith that saves from destruction, perseveres, uh, preserves the soul, is past, yes, and present, and and future-looking. It doesn't just look back to what God did in the past, although it includes that. It looks forward to the fulfillment of God's future promises. It gains confidence from God's past faithfulness, but it also believes God's future promises yet not seen. In other words, I want you to understand, as we're reading through, through uh, Hebrews 11, I don't want you to sit back and go, man, these guys were just amazing. So are you. So, so are you if you have believed Jesus. Let's endure together in the midst of rising opposition with a faith that worships, a faith that walks, and a faith that builds boats. Here he lists Noah in one verse to demonstrate persevering faith in things not yet seen by which he rescued his family, he condemned the world, and he became an heir of righteousness 
according to faith. Don't miss those words. To be clear, he did not earn his righteousness by building a boat. He became an heir of righteousness the same way that you did by faith. A faith, though, that changed his life. Obviously, we're not going to spend the next few weeks looking at Genesis 6 to 9 as much as I would like to, to review the story of Noah and the flood. But what does the author here in this one verse cite that gets him into chapter 11, the hall of faith, that gets him the commendation that he lived by faith? That's what we're going to look at today. Before we look at our Hebrews verse, though, the, uh, the first thing I want you to note is that like Enoch, Noah had a consistent, faithful walk Listen, in the midst of a wicked generation, Noah lived in a horrible environment, a corrupt world, and yet he remained faithful to God. Do you think that this is applicable to us today? Have you read the news? You don't read anymore. Have you watched the news lately? Every day, it is amazing to me the amount of wickedness that our culture specifically is able to produce. And yet, Noah remained faithful to God. We saw that in Genesis 6, the verses I read earlier, but verse 5 of that chapter says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually, all of the time. It sounds like a, a, a commentary on today's world. Look at the way that it is described here. Man's wickedness had become great. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually, all of the time. Not only were his actions evil, all of his thoughts were even evil. The earth was corrupt and it was filled with violence. Genesis says that all of the people of the earth, listen, all of the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. Don't miss the wording there. It means that the corruption was universal. All the people and they had corrupted their ways, it was willful. This was a universal, willful corruption. So how did Noah, according to Hebrews 11, demonstrate faith in the midst of all of that mess? By faith, what did he do? Well, Back to our verse, the main verb of the, of the verse is right there in the middle. He prepared an ark, that is he built a boat. A big one. Now, now, at first glance, that may not appear to be that big a deal, except by all accounts, it seems that he built it about 100 miles from the closest sea. And, and did I mention that it was a big boat? It, it was not like that you would hook it to the back of your SUV or even a semi and, and, and transport it. It was a huge ark in the middle of nowhere, and it took him over 100 years to build it. Would you do that? You would if you were a person of faith and God told you to. Two points to this one verse, why he built the boat and the results of building it. Why did he build it? Two reasons are given at the very beginning of the verse. First, because God warned him about things not yet seen. What does that mean? Well, God warned Noah about a worldwide flood never before seen, and by the way, never seen again. God said, I'm not gonna do it that way again. That's what the rainbow is all about. There's some um, question as to whether or not it had ever even rained to this point in history. You read early in the book of, of Genesis, you find it seems that God watered the earth by a mist that came up from the ground. But regardless, there had never been a flood like this one. And God warned him, Noah, the big one is coming. 
So big, he needed to build a big boat far from the sea and that animals, this is amazing, that animals would come to him to be stored on the boat to be rescued by Noah. I'm always intrigued by, by, by this, that when you go into many church nurseries, put the little toddlers in there, and in church nurseries we have little uh, pictures of Noah floating happy with a bunch of animals around, or maybe your, your home, uh, maybe your nursery at home has, you know, the little uh, carousel or whatever has a picture of Noah, you know, and then they go to Sunday school and learn that the flood was God's wrath being poured out on all of the planet and everyone died. <laughs> and they come home and they can't, they, it's no wonder your kids have night terrors. <laughs> You're scaring them to death. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, what kind of prayer is that? <laughs> sleep tight. <laughs> the whole thing actually sounds a bit crazy. So crazy that as we read earlier, people today scoff and mock this, or the, at the very least they suppress, they forget this idea of a worldwide flood. That never, never happened. You ever heard that? Never happened. And yet there are a number of independent flood stories in cultures and around the entire world. It is estimated that there are some 270 of them. Many of them include the destruction of all humankind as a result of divine displeasure that a single man and his family, maybe a few friends, survived the catastrophe by uh, means of a ship, a raft, or a very big canoe. There is, for example, the legend of Manu among the Hindus. This is among the Hindus. Manu and seven others, ha, huh, were saved in a ship from a worldwide flood. Fahi, among the Chinese, who was the only survivor along with his wife, his three sons, and his three daughters. Ah, so they messed up the daughter-in-law part. Of course, one of the most famous was the Mesopotamian uh, Gilgamesh, or Epic of Gilgamesh. I'm not going to get into all of the details but it is amazing. Read it. It's in tablet number 11. There is a flood story amazingly similar to the biblical flood story. In fact, the Noah in the Gilgamesh epic is a guy by the name of Utnapishtim. I've always loved that name. Utnapishtim. I wanted to name one of my boys Utnapishtim. And my wife would not let me. But our third son, his name is Tim. Utnapishtim. Don't, don't tell him. The second reason we read that he built a boat was out of reverence. Now, the word could be translated fear, um, but most agree the context fits reverence or at least reverential fear better. In the midst of a wicked generation, don't miss that, when commanded to do something that made no sense. Really, that's a big boat, God. A million and a half square feet, I think, if I recall correctly. In reverence to God, he did it. It, it. it got me to thinking, there are lots of things that we are commanded to do that from a wicked world's perspective makes no sense. Why would you give up a couple of hours on Sundays, one of your only days off each week, to gather with other people to worship a God you have never seen? That's silly. Why would you give, sacrificially, as we talked about just a little bit ago, uh, of your hard-earned money to this God you've never seen, when God knows, if there is one, you could use the money? 
Why, why would you spend valuable time praying, reading, serving, and giving? To many, this makes no sense. To them, Paul says, the cross is foolishness. But to us who believe, it is the wisdom of God. And out of reverence for God, we obey, even when it makes no sense. And in the midst, we find great joy, do we not? Uh, brings us to the uh, results, the second point, the results of his obedience. And we see that there are three. First, by building the boat, he saved his family. That is, his wife, his three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and their respective wives, eight in all. First Peter 3 tells us that God, I love this, God waited patiently for Noah to finish the ark until 120 years. He waited patiently that he might bring those eight safely through the flood. And by his obedience, those eight were saved, which preserved the human race. (laughs) Don't miss that part either. All this talk of racism that's going on in the planet, there is no place for racism in the church of Jesus Christ. You want to know why? Because we all share two common ancestors. Did you know that? We all go back to Adam and Eve, yes, but we also all go through Noah. We're all related. Praise the Lord. That salvation through the flood serves as a picture of what God does for his people today, preserving them safely through a wicked and perverse generation, bringing us safely to that which he has promised. Secondly, notice by his actions he condemned the world. That's kind of harsh. What does it mean? Several thoughts. First, remember he was living in a very corrupt world. Genesis 6 indicates that he and he alone found favor in the eyes of God. Now, let me tell you what that, that does not mean. That does not mean that Noah somehow on his, own, on his own righteousness earned the attention of God. That God looked down one day and said, hey, wait, I'm getting ready to destroy the flood. But there's this one guy in his family um, who's, who's okay. They're, they're righteous. I think I'll preserve them. No. That's not what it means. What it means is he and he alone received grace from God to live a righteous life. That's always the way that it works. He wasn't perfect, but he was unlike the rest of the world around him, right? And by his actions of faithful obedience, he condemned the world and their sinful rebellion. As he completed the ark obediently consigned the rest of the world to their just deserts, judgment, and condemnation. The same is true for us today, folks. We are an aroma. For those who believe, we are an aroma of life. For those who don't believe, we are an aroma of death. Now, to be sure, he, he did all of this while warning them. He, he did warn them. Second uh, Peter 2 says, and God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Now, notice, a preacher. Now, I suppose we could surmise that by his actions alone, he condemned the world, right? He preached the gospel every day with his actions by swinging a hammer. Possible? Don't think so. The word preacher speaks of a proclaimer of truth. It seems rather that as he was swinging the hammer, he preached of the coming destruction. Noah, what are you doing? The flood is coming. And, and no one listened. And yet he faithfully built and he faithfully preached even though no one listened. Like Enoch, he walked the talk and he talked the walk. 
Now, as I suggested last week, it does not take a rocket scientist to deduce that he was likely persecuted and opposed because of this ridiculous task and because of his ridiculous message. They'd never seen a flood before. Again, it possibly never rained. And he is preaching, their judgment is coming. The unrighteous never like the proclamation of truth, especially when that proclamation includes their wrong and pending judgment. But proclaim the faithful do, come what may. Noah did, and thereby condemned the world, and their already coming deserved judgment. People, do we understand that? I, I read that, 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 that long passage at the beginning that indicates in Second Peter chapter three that judgment is coming. Do we believe it? Or are we distracted? The third thing that we see is the last part of the verse, Noah became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. In the scripture, this kind of saving righteousness is always external to people as I suggested. It's not that Noah produced his own righteousness, no. Martin Luther called it an alien righteousness. It is not something that we do or earn. Noah did not become an heir of righteousness. Notice the wording. He did not become an heir of righteousness by building a boat. No, it was because he he became an heir of righteousness that is according to faith. That is always the way of scripture. This is always the way that people are declared righteous and become heirs of Christ's righteousness by faith in the gracious provision of God that changes our lives. Because you see, apart from the favor or grace that Noah received, he would have been just like the rest of the generation. The same is true for us. Except for the grace of God that we receive by faith, we would be just like the wicked generation around us and we would still be condemned in our sin. Our righteousness is not something that we produce, but something that we receive by faith and become an heir of God himself. Remember that critical verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He, that is God, made his own son, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The only thing, I've said it before, the only thing that we bring to the table in our salvation is our sin. He gets our sin, we get his righteousness. That's a pretty good trait. Romans 3, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed or manifested, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. I'm done. For all those who believe. Here's my question, have you? Have you believed in Jesus Christ, thereby becoming an heir of the righteousness of God? Because you have none of your own. Have you believed in Jesus Christ and thereby escaped the coming wrath, the coming judgment? Because I want you to understand something. It is coming. 